Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, a very, very warm welcome to those of you downstairs, upstairs, uh, and those of you who are online. It's great that we can gather together uh, this morning as the Lord's people uh, and bring our worship uh, to him. What a great joy and delight that that is to be able to do that. Um, we are uh, this morning going to be starting a new series uh, as we journey through the book of Micah. Uh, it's going to be our Advent series, and Neil's going to be leading us through that, so looking forward uh, very much to, uh, to that. So we gather together as the Lord's people uh, this morning. So let's just take a moment uh, just to still uh, our own hearts, uh, just to be mindful that we uh, come before him. We gather because of all that he has done for us and through the Lord Jesus, uh, and uh, that we offer this time to him. Uh, as a time of worship. Let's just uh, take a moment of quiet, uh, just to still our own hearts, uh, and then I'll read some verses from Psalm 33. The psalmist writes this, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with a lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Heavenly Father, uh, please would you uh, meet with us this morning as we journey through the service. Speak to us, comfort our hearts, challenge us, correct us. Build us up, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd just like to read a, a verse of scripture uh, before we come, before that God um, in whom we trust. Taking it from John 15, where about Christ is the vine and we are the branches. And there's quite an incredible promise, verse 7, which says, If you remain in me, and my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is so full of promises for us, your people. We confess that so often we are not still, and that we are busy and striving in our own strength. We thank you that uh, the scriptures are so full of those promises and encouragements for us. And as we come and we worship you, we pray that we would know our God more, uh, that we would know what it is to abide in you and for your word to remain in us. Uh, Lord, we confess so often that uh, we have our own opinions, our own ideas. Uh, we pray that you would cause us as your people to bring everything to the bar of scripture, that we would indeed abide in your word, that we would abide in you, that we would know what it is to live our lives so dependent on you. And then that wonderful promise that says, whatever we ask, it will be given. Uh, Father, therefore, we come for you this morning and we know that uh, it is our purpose to glorify you. And by doing that, we show that we are your people. And we pray in this place that that is exactly what we will do. That we will be a people that will so live that those that live around us will know that we are yours. Uh, we thank you that 
you use us to do this. And we therefore pray for the work in this place. Uh, We pray particularly for the preaching of your word every Sunday. We thank you for faithful men that study the scriptures, that dig out the treasures and bring them before us. And we pray that we would remain in your word the praise and your, to the praise of your glory. And Lord, we thank you that there are many in this place that labor all week uh, behind the scenes, doing small things, the details. Uh, we thank you those that are in the front line that share uh, your word, that share their lives uh, with youngsters, with older folks. And our prayer is, Lord, that they would see beyond us as people, but they would see you to the praise of your glory that they would put their trust in their saviour. Oh, Father, we long to see this amongst those in this village, those with whom we, we rub shoulders, and we just pray that you would bless the work in this place, that we might indeed bear fruit. Uh, Lord, we again uh, feel we, we would bring before you, there are souls here who are walking a very difficult path. Uh, Father, we pray for them. We We acknowledge again, we do walk by faith and not by sight. Uh, There is much that happens that we don't understand. And Father, we lay that before you. We think particularly of Sam Law and his fiancée, Catherine. We don't understand. But we pray that through all this path that they will walk, they will lean on you and it will be to the praise of your glory. Humanly speaking, we want healing, we want it fast, uh, we want the doctors to be wise, but again, we walk by faith and not by sight, and we submit to your will in all these things. Uh, we pray, we know that um, David John has been poorly, we thank you that's amongst us this morning. Uh, Father, we cry out, we, we struggle with our ill health and our problems we just pray that we would bring it all to you. We think particularly of Alan and Wendy who have uh, arrawn us in losing those that they have loved. Father, we, we thank you for your comfort. We thank you that uh, they are with you and they are now understand all things and are worshipping you. But we do pray for those that are separated, that are suffering that pain of of loss and we commit them to you knowing that you care for them and that you will indeed meet all their needs and father we we cannot finish without praying for our our world and our nation Uh, humanly speaking we we despair we know that uh, your word tells us there will be wars and rumors of wars until the lord jesus returns and without justice there is no peace Oh, Father, we cry out to you again. We, we walk by faith and, and not by sight. We, we acknowledge that, again, we don't understand, but we do pray for peace. Your word tells us to pray for that, and we pray that you would be at work. Again, we know that you are, that you are building your church. And Lord, we pray that you would keep our eyes fixed on you and not the troubles of this world, because we know we have that hope, that hope that springs eternal our saviour, that you would open the eyes of men and women, particularly as we come to Christmas, that they would see what Christmas really means about our saviour. We commit our time to you now as Neil brings your word to us. We pray you would take hold of these words, burn them in our hearts, challenge us, encourage us, do whatever it is we need to be those people that live to the praise of your glory. 
that we ask in our Saviour's name and for his sake. Amen. Our reading is from Micah, chapter 1, verses 1 to 9, and then chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah and Jerusalem. Hear, O peoples, all of you, listen, O earth, and all who are in it, that the sovereign Lord may witness against you the Lord from his holy temple. Look, the Lord is coming from his dwelling place. He comes down and treads the high places of the earth. The mountains melt beneath him and the valleys split apart like wax before the fire, like water rushing down a slope. All this is because of Jacob's transgression, because of the sins of the house of Israel. What is Jacob's transgression? Is it not Samaria? What is Judah's high place? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap of rubble, A place for planting vineyards, I will pour her stones into the valley and lay bare her foundations. All her idols will be broken to pieces. All her temple gifts will be burned with fire. I will destroy all her images. Since she gathered her gifts from the wages of prostitutes, as the wages of prostitutes, they will again be used. Because of this, I will weep and wail I will go about barefoot and naked. I will howl like a jackal and moan like an owl. For her wound is incurable. It has come to Judah. It has reached the very gate of my people, even to Jerusalem itself. I will surely gather all of you, O Jacob. I will surely bring together his remnants of Israel. I will bring them together like sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture, is the place will throng with people. One who breaks open the way will go up before them. They will break through the gate and go out. Their king will pass through before them, the Lord at their head. Good morning, everybody. Thank you, Selma, for reading for us. Uh, let's pray, shall we, as we come to, to God's word. Lord God, you are a holy God, a just God, a God of truth. You're also a God of grace and mercy and compassion. And we pray this morning you would reveal uh, more and more of yourself to us, that we would understand your justice, that we would reflect that justice, and we would understand more of your compassion, Lord, and your mercy, and show us the hope that we all have in Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I don't know how many of you still take a daily newspaper. I tried the, uh, the digital uh, tablet version a few years, but um, the dog found it difficult to digest. So um, went back to the paper version. I must admit, when I read through it in the, the morning, it can be a pretty depressing experience, can't it? It's full of stories of the brokenness, the wickedness of humankind of conflict, of crime, of deceit. And that's just the politics pages. Then we have the war in Ukraine. The atrocities committed by Hamas. 
stories of uh, innocent civilians being killed in the ensuing conflict. And the easiest response would be to cancel the, the newspaper subscription, avoid the news channels on TV, turn off the, the news app notifications on our phones. In other words, just bury our heads in the sands. That's just too much to cope with. Alternatively, we become so with thick skins that the dreadfulness of what we read or see no longer has any emotional impact on us. But both responses would be wrong. So what is the right response? Well, how does God respond to all that's going on in his world? He would be quite justified in wiping his hands of humankind. And yet, because he is a compassionate God, he cannot do so. He knows that we cannot do anything about our situation and that he is the only one who can. And so he takes things into his own hands and he sends his son, Jesus Christ, into the world as our king and our savior. And that is what Advent is all about. Jesus uh, becoming incarnate, becoming a human being and coming into the world at Christmas to deal with the sin of humankind. But it's also looking forward to when Jesus will one day come again to finish the work that he has started. We're starting a new Advent series this morning in the book of Micah. I don't know whether you managed to watch the little video we sent around a couple of days ago. Um, but he was an Old Testament prophet who lived, um, as it says in the opening verses here, during the reigns of uh, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. That was between about 750 and 686 BC. An Old Testament prophet was someone called by God to communicate his message to, to the world. They would often predict the future um, in the short term, the long term, i.e. when Jesus came to earth, and in the very long term, when Jesus will one day come back again at the end of time. And the key themes of this book are judgment and deliverance. We see on the one hand how much God hates idolatry, injustice, and empty religion. But on the other hand, he loves to forgive those who are penitent. We see how God will bring deliverance through the Messiah, who will bring peace and freedom to his people. We sang earlier that our God is a great big God. But in Micah's opening words, we get a sense of just how big this God is. Look at verse 2 there. Hear you people, all of you. Listen, earth and all who live in it, that the sovereign Lord may bear witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. Look, the Lord is coming from his dwelling place. He comes down and treads on the heights of the earth. Micah's point here is that this God, whose words he is proclaiming, is not some small tribal deity. He is the sovereign Lord of the whole universe, the one who deserves our worship, the one who dwells above the earth and yet is coming down and treading on the heights of the earth. This is a photo I took last year when we went to visit David and Binny Makia in uh, India. Uh, the mountain there is uh, Mount Kanjanjunga. Uh, it's otherwise known as the Sleeping Buddha. You might be able to see why that is, lying on its back. 
Uh, it's on the border between India and Nepal. It's the third highest mountain in the world. 20% of people who try to climb it lose their lives. It's considered sacred by the local people, and it's not therefore possible to climb from the, the Indian side. As human beings, we are in awe of something like that. But to God, these are the mountains he created. These are just like molehills to him. It says it treads on them. And if this God who treads on the mountains is coming to earth, then we should tremble. But why did he come? And how should we respond to him? Well, the first two chapters of Michael we're looking at this morning, um, the point to Jesus, what we see is three things. We see that Jesus came to warn the world. Jesus came and grieved over the world. And Jesus came to bring hope to the world. When you hear the news that someone is coming, I guess the response it prompts in you will depend on who it is and why they're coming and how you stand in relation to them. Are they a friend, which is a great, great thing to, to welcome them, or an enemy? And if they're a powerful one at that, then it's going to be a pretty terrifying thing. Look how verse 4 continues. The mountains melt beneath him. The valleys are split apart like wax before the fire, like water rushing down a slope. We saw in the dreadful disaster in Libya a few months ago, the power of water bursting a dam, rushing down a slope. That's the image of the power of God that should make us tremble. We see God here in all his power and majesty. But why does he come in this way? Well, look at verse 5, how it carries on. No, it doesn't on the screen, but look in your, in your Bibles in verse 5. All this is because of Jacob's transgression, because of the sins of the people of Israel. What is Jacob's transgression? Is it not Samaria? What is Judah's high place? Is it not Jerusalem? But the word for transgression is rebellion. The people have been rebelling against God and doing things their way for hundreds of years. At this time, the kingdom of Israel had been split into two. The, the, the capital of the northern kingdom was Samaria. The capital of the southern kingdom was Jerusalem. But they're equally guilty. And there are three particular ways in which they have sinned and rebelled against God. The first of those is idolatry. The high place referred to here are the elevated places where they would um, establish altars to worship other gods, false gods. And so God says here, all her idols will be broken to pieces. All her temple gifts will be burned with fire. I will destroy all her images. Throughout the Bible, we see God's people continually tempted to, to make idols and worship other gods, which is why the second commandment is, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. God's jealousy is based on the passionate love that he has for his people, to whom he has promised to be faithful. 
And he's therefore jealous when his people might worship anything else that is false or inferior, unreliable and unsatisfying compared to his faithful love. Which might make us ask ourselves, well, in what areas of our lives have we been tempted to replace God with something inferior? We might not make images, um, but in our hearts, we might be tempted to worship or take delight in the created things of this world rather than the creator God. What does that look like for you? If there are things that we enjoy more than Jesus, ask yourself, what have they done for you? What benefit have they brought to you compared to the grace and the everlasting life that Jesus offers The people have rebelled against God through their idolatry. Secondly, through their oppression or injustice or exploitation or abuse would be other words you could use for that, whatever name you give it. It goes against God's character of justice, which is the theme of the FIC Leaders Conference uh, last week, where we looked at God's heart for the vulnerable and the oppressed. Have a look at chapter 2, verse 1. says there, woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds. In other words, those who stay up late at night scheming. And it carries on at morning's light, they carry it out because it is in their power to do it. Whether that power is physical power or emotional power or financial power, they are willing to use it for their own selfish ends, to deprive others of what belongs to them. It says they covet fields in verse 2 and seize them and houses and take them. They defraud people of their homes. They rob them of their inheritance. I wonder at some point if you've been a, a victim in some way, maybe a theft, maybe a financial scam, maybe a physical or emotional manipulation. And it's left you feeling insecure and anxious. God is a God of justice. And whilst we're told that we may not experience justice in this world, we can be reassured that if people are not brought to justice now, they will be when they meet God face to face. But before we move on too quickly, and I think, well, oppression is what those evil people do out there, not not me. Look back at what it says in verse 2, how that verse 2 starts. It says they cover fields that whole abuse that oppression starts with coveting we may not have stolen the things that belong to other people but how many have we coveted the 10th commandment says you shall not cover anything that belongs to your neighbor why is it such a bad thing well because what it means is that you're not satisfied with what god has given you and you want what god has given your neighbor And it's not just material things. It may be their their gifting, their popularity, maybe their position, whatever it is. And in that sense, coveting becomes like idolatry, doesn't it? Um, We think that if we get that thing that they've got, then we will be happy rather than trusting in the Lord for our peace. The people rebelled against God through their idolatry, through their oppression, and thirdly, through denying the truth. In verse 3 of chapter 2, Micah's just repeated the words of God. He says, I'm planning disaster against this people from which you cannot save yourselves. 
But then in verse 6, other false prophets say, do not prophesy about these things. Disgrace will not overtake us. In other words, don't believe him. Don't believe God. Just carry on doing what you're doing. You'll be okay. God doesn't really mind. And Micah describes such people in strong terms in verse 11 as, as liars and deceivers. He says, if a liar and deceiver comes and says, I will prophesy for you plenty of wine and beer, that would just be the prophet for this people. What does he mean by that? Well, he's saying that people will find the prophets to tell them what they want to hear. And if that's to, to drink plenty of wine and beer, well, then that must be true. And sadly, that is how the views and values of the world have impacted the church in this country today. We have God's word, which tells us about the way in which he's shown his amazing love for us through the death of his son, that wonderful sacrifice on the cross for us. It tells us how we can live a life that is pleasing to him, which is by taking up our cross, denying ourselves. But many Christians are more focused on pleasing themselves than making sacrifices for Jesus. And so instead of asking the Lord to change our hearts, to see the delight that comes from living the way God wants us to live, as he's shown us in his word, they'll distort God's word to make it say what they want it to say. This evening, five people will begin getting baptized. They've all decided to deny themselves to take up their cross and to follow Jesus because they know, although such a life can be a hard one, it's far more rewarding and fulfilling than anything the world has to offer. So as we share the good news of Jesus, let's not be tempted to pretend that the Christian life is is easy or or dumb down God's word and and overlook behavior that is displeasing to God. The more we live a life that's pleasing to God, the more we walk in step with the Spirit, the more we will experience the love, the joy, and the peace of God. God used Micah to warn the world, but Jesus also came to warn the world. And he didn't mince his words. This is what Jesus said. He said, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... The Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Now, if that is um, God's only response to the wickedness of the world, if we left it there, we would understand his holiness, we'd understand his justice. But there's more to see in this passage because we also see his, his wonderful compassion. Jesus came and grieved the world. Have a look at verse 8. Of chapter 1. Because of this, I will weep and wail. I will go about barefoot and naked. I will howl like a jackal and moan like an owl. For Samaria's plague is incurable. It has spread to Judah. It has reached the very gate of my people, even to Jerusalem itself. Just as a good parent will not discipline their child in anger, but will calmly explain to them why they are disciplining them, so does God explain to his people what the consequences will be if they ignore his warnings. 
It doesn't make the discipline any easier. And just as it's still hard for a, a parent to carry out that discipline, so it's hard for God to, to discipline his people whom they, whom, when they reject him and when they reject his ways. He weeps and wails. When Jesus came to earth, we are told he wept over Jerusalem. This is what it says in Matthew 23. It says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Coming back to that question I posed at the beginning, what should be our response be to the desperate situation of the world around us? It's turned its back on God. But shouldn't our response be the same as Jesus here, to weep? Yes, because the behavior of the world dishonors God, and his glory should be the most important thing for us, but also because the people are blind to what they're doing, oblivious to where it's leading them. And therefore, it should cause us to turn to God on our knees in prayer. And just as Jane prayed earlier for the world in which we live. <clears throat> we know people cannot change themselves. It's not in their power to do so. That is step one in the 12-step program that, that addicts and alcoholics go through. I'm powerless to change myself. As it says in chapter 2, verse 3, the Lord says, I'm planning disaster against this people from which you cannot save yourselves. Just because people are powerless to save themselves, that Jesus came. Which brings us on to our last point, which is the hope in the face of despair. Jesus came to bring hope to the world. And he does that in two ways. Um, if we look at chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Firstly, through his promise that he will gather his people. Verse 12 says, I will surely gather all of you, Jacob. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. I will bring them together like sheep in a sheepfold and like a flock in its pasture. The place will throng with people. Having said that God will punish them for their disobedience, God also says, but I will provide an escape for those who turn back to me. The remnant. And I'll gather them from exile, bring them back to their homeland which is what happened to the people of Israel. God allowed the, the northern kingdom to be taken into exile by the Assyrians in 722 BC when Micah was prophesying. About 150 or so years later, the southern kingdom was taken into captivity by the Babylonians. And then God allowed the Persians to defeat the Babylonians. And it was they who eventually allowed the Jews to return to their homeland and to rebuild their land. And the remnant here refers to those who, who heeded the warnings and remained faithful to God rather than allow themselves to become corrupted by the ways of the nations around them. But the gathering here is referring to not just a gathering that happened then to the people of Israel at that time. It's also a prophecy of the gathering that will happen when Jesus comes again. When he ascended to heaven, Jesus said to his disciples, I will go and prepare a place for you. I will come back and I will take you to be with me. 
And that is the wonderful promise that we can treasure if we are followers of Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes again, he will gather his people, both those who've already died and those who are still alive, to be with him for the rest of eternity. Sadly, it will not be everybody, and those who have rejected Jesus will face his judgment. But for those who trust in him, they will join him in his presence. And that number will not be insignificant. It says here the place will throng with people. So if you're a Christian and you're going into the office tomorrow morning and you're feeling like, I just, I'm on my own here, uh, I don't know any other Christians in this whole company. You're not on your own. Not only is God with you, you belong to his people who over the centuries count billions of fellow Christians. The book of Revelation at the end of the Bible in chapter 7 gives us this picture of what that will look like. It says, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. He will gather them. And secondly, he will set his people free. In order for Jesus to gather his people, he has to do something else first. He has to free them. Verse 13 says, the one who breaks open the way will go up before them. They will break through the gate and go out. Their king will pass through before them, the Lord at their head. If you think back to the things that Jesus warned about, um, the idolatry, the oppression, denying the truth, in some ways we're all guilty of that. We've all put our needs, our preferences before the needs of others. We've worshipped other things more than God. We fail to trust and delight in God's commands. And so we are all guilty and deserve God's punishment. But when Jesus came the first time and he died on the cross and rose again, he broke open the way. He broke through the gate so we can be free. We were imprisoned by our, our addictions, our, our guilt, the guilt of the past, the, the pain we've experienced, the, the fear of death, all those things that kept us captive, and Jesus broke through them. He is the great breaker. And he casts all those things aside with the same power that we saw in those opening verses, like a flooded river casts everything aside. And he doesn't just free us and say, here you are, off you go. You're on your own now. That would be like letting someone out of prison and expecting them to cope in the real world without any help. Now it says, their king will pass through before them, the Lord at their head. If we put our trust in Jesus, we have a new king of our lives. Before, before we thought we were free to, to do what we wanted, but in actual fact, we were just slaves to our own desires. Now Jesus, the servant king, the shepherd king, now he leads us, he guides us by his Holy Spirit in the way of peace and joy as we follow him and keep in step with him. And when Jesus comes again, he will break us free completely from any remaining hold that sin has over us and we will become like him. Our transformation will become complete. That's why we have, should all have our eyes focused on Jesus and him coming back again. 
Jesus came to bring hope in the face of despair, in the face of a world that is in such a, a desperate state. And if you don't yet know that hope, then uh, let me invite you along to this evening to come and hear from the five people being baptized how their lives have been changed by Jesus, how he's given them a real hope for the future. Or come and talk to, to me or Saab afterwards about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to know his forgiveness. And if you already know that hope, then don't allow it to make you become hardened to what is going on in the world around you. Weep and wail like Jesus did. Pray with greater fervency and urgency that God would have mercy on our world. Let me finish with a verse for the year. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father God, we are aware that the world around us is in a desperate state. And we know that as you look on, you, you weep and you wail. We pray that we would have that same response. We would seek your, your mercy to those who are blind to your warnings, that you would forgive them because they know not what they do. Father, we thank you for the hope you've brought us. In Jesus, we know that when we were powerless to change ourselves, you had mercy on us. You revealed to us our need. You revealed to us our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you that he has broken us free from all the things that kept us captive. Thank you that he will one day come to gather us to be with him forever. Lord, keep us focused on his coming, we pray, and help us to live lives that are worthy of all that he's done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, my prayer is that uh, as you've journeyed through the service uh, this morning, the Lord has met with you, he's spoken to you, uh, he's encouraged your heart, uh, that uh, the sacrifice that uh, he has made for you has really gripped you uh, afresh uh, this morning. Please do pray uh, with someone before you go out uh, this morning. Please do pray with uh, the person uh, beside you or near you. Uh, but please do not leave without uh, just coming before the Lord, uh, giving thanks for all he's done. Uh, some words uh, just again to go out and encourage us. Uh, Paul writing to the churches in Ephesus uh, reminds us of this in chapter 3. It says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen.